You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Hi there, welcome to the show. Tuesday, May the 16th. Beautiful sunny day here in TW11. Beautiful racing around the world this week as well. Preakness Stakes, second leg of the American Triple Crown takes place on Saturday evening at Pimlico in Baltimore in Maryland. And the Kentucky Derby winner Mage in his Triple Crown bid has drawn gate three for the middle jewel in a field of eight. There will be some long faces if he can't set himself up for the Triple Crown. We will be focusing on that tomorrow, Friday, Saturday for sure. But today, most of our focus is on matters UK and Ireland, particularly with York's Dante Festival just around the corner. We've got declarations through for the Dante Stakes, more of which in a moment. We discussed tomorrow's Musadora Stakes yesterday. We also need to focus on the return of the great European champion sprinter, Highfield Princess who makes her seasonal debut in tomorrow's Duke of York Stakes, a race she won comfortably last year before going on to win that hat-trick of Group 1s. Her trainer is John Quinn. I put a call in to him, asked him what he was expecting 24 hours from now. Um, we're expecting a good run. Um, she, um, she Obviously, she had a break after America, but she was back in here in, in January. Um, um, and she's training well. Um not my concern but one thing about her she's always she's always relished racing every year you know the more she ran the more she the the better she got um that would be a slight concern but we are where where there was nowhere to run her you know um but in herself she's very well so i would hope she'd run run very well i mean the um the, the the if one looks at it really She's run twice against Creative Force, getting the getting the Phillies allowance, and both times uh, at Ascot and at Keeneland, he's finished in front of her. Tomorrow, he's seven pounds better off. So you, you know, we've got to be very mindful about that. He's a fit horse. He only won on Saturday, so you know he he he, um, you know. So um, that's one thing we're mindful about. But um, I'm pleased to get her going, and she's very well, and you know she run well and. I hope she wins, but whatever she does, she'll only improve. Uh, earlier in the season, you gave an interview, I think, to Chris Dixon on Racing TV. I described it as the the finest um, uh, laying out of a campaign that I'd ever that I'd ever heard. It encompassed just about every good sprint race everywhere in the world this season. <laughs> yeah, well, they, you know, and that's why we're we're so pleased to get her going um, tomorrow. And then, you know, as long as she's okay after tomorrow, it's Royal Ascot. And, and then, you know, the, 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 the sprint program in Europe, it's it's there for all to see, you know. But we're, we're, we're very pleased to, that we can get her going tomorrow and, and, and kick on from there. Is, is there a sense to which you're trying to fill in a few of the gaps from last year? So, okay, you didn't run the July Cup last year. You didn't run in one of the races at Asker. You didn't run. So you, you, you're sort of, it, it's an amazing kind of experience and a journey she's taken everybody on. Absolutely. I mean, last year we were, when she won the Duke of York, we, we felt she could win. That's why we kept her in training. We felt she could win a, a group three stroke two. Um, so, so John Fairley said, well, if we feel that we should keep her in training so when she won the Duke at York last year we were absolutely delighted for everybody the owners and and the yard 
then she went and she ran really well at Royal Ascot but she had a hard race um, and we gave her a break and I think that really helped her and then she went and won the Morris de Geest but last year she, she was in early and she had three runs on the old weather prep runs well for the for the mayor's final um, uh, at Easter which she duly won but she but but she'd been in a long t- by the time we got to the Breeders' Cup last year she had been in a long time and been all over Europe so we thought this year obviously she, we couldn't we, we hadn't thought about the um, the uh, the Phillies race at, at Newcastle so we thought we'd bring her in we'd give her a, a, a decent break which we did and we'd start at York and hope that then she would last to Christmas so that's that's the plan really you know and, and John, when when you gave that interview earlier in the year, you were talking about maybe going to Australia and taking a couple of races in there. Is that is that? Are you still thinking along those lines? Well, we are really. I mean, we, we, you, you know, as you know well, with 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 horses as they get older, you you're very keen to see how they perform year in year out because they're not machines, and they can sometimes they can attain the level of the previous years. Very few times they'll 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 supersede it, but sometimes they'll dip. Or can dip. Now I'm not expecting. I'm not being negative, but I'm just being. I'm just being open-minded about it. But so as long as we get through tomorrow, and then we go on to Ascot, and then you've got the the, the big summer sprints, which is, this year we, we we probably should think about the July Cup because this is our last year. And then if we got to if we got on to towards York Nunthorpe time, and and she was still in very good form, we we certainly will. Um, think about either going to Australia or staying here and running her and running her um, later in the year in England and then going to Santa Anita for the Breeders' Cup you know just just lovely lovely plans um, she's been such a, a wonderful mayor so far fingers crossed the the journey can continue tomorrow John thanks for talking to me not at all very nice song that was John Quinn and Highfield Princess, very much the star on show on the first day of York's Dante Festival, which gets underway tomorrow. Jonathan Harding from the Racing Post is is with me now, much garlanded right from the Racing Post, of course. Uh, Jonathan, it, it will be good to see her back, though you can understand John Quinn's reservations about the task ahead of her, particularly as he put it. She needs a few runs customarily to, to really hit top gear. Hope she'll win, but can't be confident that she will. No, I think that was a very sensible view on it she's was this one of the stories of last season with that rise to winning the group ones and it was kind of this race really that put her on the map but her record first time out's not particularly compelling I think she's been beaten first time up in each of the previous three seasons so she does take a little bit of time and might come on for the run not to mention the fact she's got that five pound penalty so it looks an open race she's the worthy favorite but I think if if as Looking at it as a betting heat, you'd probably be trying to find another angle in there. And looking at it from a, a story point of view and looking at it from a, a global point of view, and Highfield Princess has some notable global targets, there is a an Australian raider. Tell me a little bit more about the astrologist. Yeah, so the astrologist has come over and has been based at Newmarket. Obviously, it's difficult to get a, a really good handle on the Australian form relative to the British form. It looks as though he might not be perhaps the pick of the sprinters. We know what the very best Australian sprinters can do. We had Nature Strip last year at Royal Ascot, of course, who blew us all away. But the form of uh, his last run is particularly good. 
obviously finished second, narrowly second by a head in the Alquaz sprint at Maidan. Um, so I think that sort of match fitness might play into his hands against the likes of Highfield Princess having their first start of the season. He's a really interesting contender. And I think also a word for Marshman, who won sort of as he liked at Shanti on his first start of the season, has got some good form in the book last year and is getting weight all round. So it looks really a really interesting race to kick us off uh, with the three-day festival. Yeah, Mayor Highfield Princess, who's accustomed to receiving weights from um, Colts and Geldings in, in top-class races. She is giving weight with her Group 1 penalty, uh, and that means she gives £11 to the three-year-old Marshman, which is a, a fair old whack over six furlongs at York. The declarations are now through for Thursday's Dante, which is the key and established derby trial, and for many years served as the the preeminent derby trial, a position it regained last year when Desert Crown won both races. So Michael Stout's represented again with the supplemented passenger. We discussed that yesterday. Where's your money on in the Dante, John? I like Canberra legend for James Ferguson. Obviously won really well at Newmarket in the field and stakes on first start of the season. And I, I just think he might be the surprise package in here. David Yates and I talked about the Musadora yesterday. Uh, particularly with reference to Jack Shannon's runner, Gather Ye Rosebuds. I know she's a filly that interests you. I know he's a trainer that interests you. No, absolutely. I mean, he's really hit the ground running, hasn't he? He speaks very well about his horses, um, and he's got some wonderful horses to speak about, which always helps. He obviously had a, a great result in the 1,000 guineas with uh, Carnarfon finishing fourth in that. I mean, that's fairly good, given how new he is at the sort of training in his own right and gather you rosebuds looks like a similarly progressive exciting type i think were it not for infinite cosmos she'd be the one but we're we don't quite know whether infinite cosmos is going to be the superstar that we all hope she will be i think uh novakai as well has been perhaps slightly overlooked for carl burke um second behind commissioning in the phillies mile last year so has that two-year-old form in the book a few of the others are slightly more well they haven't quite been tested in at that highest level just yet um, and particularly infinite cosmos is it might be a case that she is just that good and takes another huge step forward and we might have a new oaks favorite we don't know but i think novakai if you're looking at the the actual form in the book is an interesting contender all right casting our eye forward to the lockinge as well we heard yesterday in spiral wouldn't run um, that yard has still got a pretty formidable filly in the shape of Laurel, but there's a formidable colt in the race in the shape of My Prospero, uh, who's trained by William Haggis. Earlier in the season, Tom Marquand named him to me as the horse he was most looking forward to riding this year. William's with me now. Uh, William, do you share your jockey's enthusiasm for what he might do in 2023? Well, he's a pretty good horse, great big horse, Nick, and a big scopy horse. You know, you'd think he would improve physically from three to four he looks good to us um he's moving great yeah i can't uh, find fault with him really at the moment i mean i'm only running in the lock i wanted to run at ascot in the paradise stakes but we had a bit of a blip at that time so we didn't run him but i wanted to run there to see whether he's not really bred to stay very well by Ifrage. I know the mares by See the Stars, but my Titani was quite quick. Um, and uh, there's, it's quite a speedy family. It's the family of Musmir, who we had a few years ago. Um, and <clears throat> I just wanted to see whether we were Queen Anne or Prince of Wales. 
and running in the paradise, I thought would tell me everything. Now that didn't happen, so we're now in a lockage, which I, I'm frightened they'll be a bit quick for him. Um, but it might confirm everything. The other option is a Disfahan, but that's on May 28, and that's pretty tight going all the way to France uh, for a race three weeks before the Prince of Wales. So I, I think it'll probably be the Lockinch, yeah. So if it goes well in the Lockinch and he wins or runs very well, do you think that that's it then? Do you think he is a... You've got all those races over the straight mile, which, you know, is a sort of stamina milers, really, uh, in Europe. Do you think that'll be him then for the season, Queen Anne's and Jack Lamar was and that? He'll definitely try the... the uh, well, we have another horse that... Not that that makes any difference because they're different owners, but we have another horse who, who hopefully will do the mile races. Um, I think he's a mile and a quarter. His best form last year was at a mile and a quarter. But... Um, I just want to be sure he doesn't do a lot at home, so he's quite de- deceptive at home. Um, I just want to be sure that we're not missing a trick in the Queen Anne. I don't know which will be the stronger race. I suspect the mile and a quarter race, but we'll see. Okay, so who 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 is going to fly the flag in all the mile races? Well, we have a horse called Mal Jume who is uh, yeah hasn't run since he should have won the St James's that, Palace. God, how could I forget him? Yeah, well, there you go. Um, so uh, he's just he, we're trying to get him back at the moment he's in good, good form he hasn't started anything fast uh, and we'd love to get him to Ascot first time but it's going to be touch and go um, but he's a pretty smart horse and he is a generous horse at home too so um, I don't think he's going to stay much further than a mile I think mm. he's a pretty nice horse I, I like I like I like the idea of a, ge- a generous horse at home. I'm I'm guessing is that the best euphemism I've heard this year for works is absolute socks off. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't do that. But he he like Baid he he did everything right. Maljum last year, uh, not like Baid of course, but um, I know what you mean. He 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 gives his all on the gallops as well as at the track. So. Um, you know, you know what you're you're dealing with, and if he doesn't work well, then he's not right. Um, uh, <laughs> doesn't uh, work well, then he's uh, you can't really tell. Um, I know, I know, you've got stacks entered at York this week. I'm not going to ask you to list them all, but um, is, is there a is there anything you're particularly looking forward to running? Um, yeah, one or two. Um, We've a couple of nice fillies in the listed race on Friday, unbeaten fillies. Um, you know, that'll be a strong race, but I like them. I'd love to have run Hamish in the Yorkshire Cup, but it's not going to rain enough. Um, nice horse in the first tomorrow. Progressive horse. May not be soft enough for him, but the ground should be nice. Um, yeah, we got one or two, and a, a, a quite a useful horse coming back in the mile and a quarter handicap on Friday. Um, What's it? Aramaic right. and uh, Sea Silk Road in the Middleton. Uh, I think she's there. I think she is. I'm not quite sure, but I think she's there. And it, it strikes me you're just starting to slip through the gears and, and the, the yard's just starting to, to crank into life. Uh, not really. We've had a pretty sticky start. Um, and, uh, yeah, we had a couple of group winners and, uh, last week and Mujtaba ran very well in the uh, Huxley um, but I could do with a bit more consistency with the less good ones. They're not uh, shaping up like normal. Now, maybe it's because they're not much good, which is possible. 
um, but they're not they're not running yet like I as consistent as I'd like but we'll get there that was William Haggis he's clearly excited about my Prospero and if with a couple of group wins under his belt last weekend he thinks that the stable's not really there yet then stand by the floodgates might just about to be to be opened let's just have a quick word on the lock inch no in spiral but we do have laurel we do have uh, modern games don't we and we do also have uh, my prospero how do you see it going i think my prospero has a very good chance um obviously that form with bay bridge finishing half a length behind bay bridge is particularly good you know he finish a net behind caribus we're talking about a, a very talented horse here the yard does seem to have turned a corner a little bit i think it's perhaps overstated how bad the run was before but actually a few nice winners now and and once William Haggis starts firing that's usually the end of it. Important part of that interview was William Haggis reminding us about Mal Jume, who is currently a 10 to 1 shot for the Queen Anne at Ascot and off the back of that I just want to go and back him because everyone's forgotten about him he hasn't run since the St James's Palace they're rushing to get him to Ascot or yeah he may or may not make it but god if he does he's a massive talent. Exactly and and I think if my Prospero comes out and wins a lockage then we'll be really excited because Mal Jume looked like the horse to take from that certainly it's just a case of whether he um you know lacking that sort of match fitness as I keep calling it but whether he's sharp enough on his first start I don't know but if he's anywhere near his best then it will be really exciting to see him in the Queen Anne and if last year's St James's Palace Stakes seems like yesterday then this year's is only around the corner a slip of the pen looking to add himself to that lineup if all goes well in tonight's Heron Stakes at Sandown Park. Jonathan, what chances do you think for the Royal Runner, who is a very short price favourite against three reasonable opponents? Yeah, he certainly ought to win, but it's it's not going to be a penalty kick, I don't think. Finn's Charms are a decent horse and, and one well at Musselburgh, but I think it's a it's a type of race he needs to win if he's going to be in that Royal Ascot picture. And the St James's Palace is shaping up to be quite a race, isn't it, with Chaldean and um Royal Scotsman in there as well. So I'm hoping he can go and do something impressive and really add another element to that Royal Ascot race, throwing it forward. It was I know there there was half a discussion about the Derby a while ago and uh, it'll be interesting. I think he's definitely a miler. Um, and it would be nice for the for the royal family to have a big runner at Royal Ascot, and I think he's the pick of their horses this season. Interesting news also that uh, the the American Challenge looks set to be bolstered further. We talked yesterday a little bit about the the Royal Palm Series, the two horses that George Weaver trained, including No Name Mets, who was very impressive. You heard from Harlan Malty yesterday about Mattingly likely to come over for the royal meeting, and Tom Morley, uh, English born but New York based trainer. Um, nephew of the late David Morley, who was famous for training Celeric to win the Gold Cup. Uh, he looks as though he's got a Queen Mary filly in, in his in his barn. Brian Sheeran's written this up in today's TDN. Uh, Sunane, uh, $250,000 purchase at the Keeneland September yearling sale. Uh, looks as though she could well be bound for the Queen Mary after victory at Belmont Park. So the international appeal of the Royal Meeting, Jonathan, uh, seems to be only strengthening. No, and it's it's hugely encouraging because it's it's a bit of a cliche, but the world is getting smaller. The racing world certainly is getting smaller. We've seen the the growth of meetings in Saudi Arabia. Dubai is obviously reasonably long-standing relative to that, but Bahrain, all over the world, the, we have this high-quality racing now, and it's easier and easier to campaign your horses abroad. And we see a lot of 
news stories quite rightly about the export of British and Irish talent abroad. So it's nice to actually reap the the benefits of having international runners coming the other way. And it just adds another layer, another little flavour to the Royal meeting. I think certainly with the Australian sprinters last year would be a good example of that, where you're actually able to test the British horses against uh, their international rivals. Um, in that case, they came off worse, but it, it's just another layer to it all. And it's really exciting, I think, that we can have these Australian, American, French, you name it, coming over and that Royal Ascot and indeed British racing and its marquee events still holds that prestige so much so that they're willing to send their horses over and interrupt their domestic campaigns just to be there yeah uh, and with that in mind it's worth noting that the dubai racing club has renamed their season next year there'll be a new structure for the 23 24 racing season at maidan it's all going to be renamed as the dubai racing carnival rather than the world cup carnival the purses have gone up 27 percent, and that rather does um serve to underline Jonathan, the, the point that it is getting very competitive in the Gulf at the moment with the with the rise of Saudi Arabia particularly, but but also you know, Qatar putting more money on last year, Bahrain trying to get in their pitching as well. Dubai doesn't want to be left behind. So the the race has has begun already. Twenty seven percent increase in Dubai Dubai purses next year. No, it's really interesting what's happening in the region, and there's been a fair bit of collaboration at least ostensibly so um and a bit of joined up thinking in that you can have horses that campaign in qatar they go to maidan saudi you can sort of do it all as a bit of a circuit and it doesn't clash too much with the the european seasons there is probably a degree of posturing as well because i think they are competing for those top top horses particularly the ones in america as well so yeah it's an interesting time and the numbers are eye-watering now, you remember on the podcast last week, we featured the case of Sylvester de Souza, multiple champion jockey in England, and his Brazilian Hong Kong-based colleague Wagner Borges, both of whom had found themselves in the wires in Hong Kong. De Souza with a 10-month worldwide ban, Borges with a 12-month worldwide ban, Borges for placing a bet, and de Souza for, in their words, facilitating a bet. We don't know the details. We don't know the specifics of the case. Michael Cox is the founder of the Asian Racing Report and editor of that publication. Uh, he is in Sydney at the moment, so anything you might hear in the background is the the hubbub of Sydney traffic, but you'll be able to hear Michael clearly enough. Uh, Michael, you've written a really interesting piece today, sort of trying to take this in a different direction, not speculating on what might have gone on here, but speculating on on why Hong Kong has found themselves with a with a, a jockey betting situation on its hands. Yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast, Nick. And you know, I guess it's uh, taking an angle to what is always a huge story in Hong Kong Anytime a, a jockey is banned for betting-related offences. And we've got two in one case. Uh, I guess what I was trying to get at is the role that licensing plays and the strength of a jockey roster plays in, in protecting the integrity. And the jockey club, the Hong Kong jockey club, find themselves in a really interesting uh, period of time here, coming out of covid where maybe that jockey roster, which is traditionally one of the strongest in the world, has been a bit stagnant and a bit lacking in star power. Uh, and now they've got a really big job to do. They're going to have to find two more jockeys in the short term. But I think just looking at the strength of that jockey roster from top to bottom is a really important part in, in protecting the integrity of the sport there. 
just flesh that out for me a little bit and, and tell me how you feel that relates to, to this case specifically. Well, I, I think I, in my column today in Asian Racing Report, I focused mostly on uh, Wagner Borges and his record so far this season. And just when a jockey isn't winning, in Hong Kong, a run of outs isn't just can be counted by the amount of races they haven't won in. But time, they only race twice a week. Jockeys can fall out of favour and they don't get enough support, but they can still have an influence on races. Now, I'm not alleging that that's what Wagner Borges has done, but it is a threat to integrity when jockeys are out there feeling like they can win a race. Well, how am I going to earn? Maybe I can help someone else win a race, perhaps. And, and that's what my column is about. It's not about the specifics of this case, because in time we'll find out more. But it's important to have a jockey roster that's replenished at the bottom end as much as the top. They need their stars. They bring in betting turnover. But having jockeys that are just going around for riding fees it shouldn't be what hong kong is about and how do you think steps will be taken or, or are being taken to, to to address that clearly we know and you've referenced this hong kong was hit very hard in this regard by by covid mm-hmm. and, and i think jockeys didn't want to go there you know there was before that there was political unrest in 2019 right on the back of that there was covid restrictions from the government that were were strict hard borders and the jockey club really did a great job of doubling down almost uh, creating a even uh, harsher set of protocols if you like to ensure that racing went on and for the most part it did it was a minor miracle that um just how fewer uh, meetings were lost and a, and a great testament to the club but where they were really restricted is being able to bring jockeys in jockeys didn't want to come into that environment which was basically a lockdown environment they uh jockeys left citing that as a reason blake shin had a lot of success the australian jockey in hong kong used that as a reason now that's gone the the covid restrictions are down and what the jockey club are doing now which is you know they're doing it in a low-key way but they're offering a few more perks to to riders so zach Purton recently announced he would not retire he'd extend his stay in hong kong and he was able to negotiate a, a better set of, well, a better environment for him. He's able to come and go more often, more freedoms, more ability uh, to go and take Group 1 rides in other jurisdictions. And there's also uh, Hugh Bowman, Brenton Abdullah, the Australian jockeys, who have been able to um, live off course, more more rent subsidies, the ability, just, just a few more perks. I guess they're competing in a, with... If they want the top jockeys in the world, these top jockeys in the world are on, on rich retainers. Ryan Moore, he, he doesn't want to come to Hong Kong. He's on a, he's on a very uh, good deal where he is. If they want to be competitive, they have to get into this game. And, and that's what we're seeing behind the scenes in Hong Kong. They really have been proactive in this case. So I guess the point I was making today is this recruitment drive from the Hong Kong Jockey Club, which is what it is it might be slow building but it is what it is it has to be at the bottom end as well and when jockeys fall out of favor and their strike rate falls below three percent i think they have to work harder to perhaps give up and coming jockeys uh jockeys from jurisdictions maybe that they haven't recruited from in the past a chance to come in and and maybe take hold and 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 earn a permanent spot in hong kong michael thanks for your time
Thank you. All right, Tuesday. So around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's to Germany now to a man who wears many hats and wears most of them very successfully. He's a big figure on the German bloodstock scene. He's also a man who has charged himself with really redeveloping and revivifying Hoppergarten Racecourse and restoring it to its former glories. Plus, he's had lots of success as a racehorse owner and breeder in the UK. Some ups and some downs, but some most notable moments as well. Uh, he is Gerhard Schoening, and he joins me now. Gerhard, uh, great to talk to you. Where did it all begin? Ooh, difficult. I think it all started off in 2003. Um, I, I was very keen to have horses with Henry Cecil, who'd been a sort of um, hero from my youth. And um, I was then introduced to him and quite formally interviewed and could then convince him of, of my idea to buy uh, yearlings, uh, mainly fillies at Baden-Baden, um, that should stay. And the idea was to get sort of at least a Saturday horse and then breed from 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 the good ones and um, so we had a situation about 10 years ago i had a band of four mares um, three uh, were black type winners or black type placed on the track one one had had a very decent pedigree and sort of i don't know another five years later uh, i think the best one uh, was sort of all right but had an excellent at start one of the medium ones was exceptional and and she was the best experience i'll come to her uh, and the the other two of very little account so out of four very decent race mares with um, with with very decent pedigrees only really one made it in spectacular fashion and which is probably not not an atypical experience so um, the the best experience was clearly best uh, she won two um, races in England. I then sent her to Hoppergarten to be trained here. Uh, she won a, a listed as a four-year-old, which was obviously great for, for her page. Uh, we then sent her to, to Asimore, and um, uh, she produced Best of Days, who won his Sandown Maiden by, I think, six lengths, and then was a, I don't know, what is it called next, Star of the Future or something in one of the, um, uh, I don't know, in, in TDM. Uh, yeah, TDN Stars, um, is it TDM, star, Stars of Tomorrow? Of Agents yeah. called. Uh, some something like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, un unfortunately, that that does that doesn't happen regularly to me. So <laughs> I forgot what it's called. And um, so eventually, um, he was sold to to Godolphin for a very good price. He then uh, won uh, what is the um, Group Two? I think over a mile at Newmarket called for two year olds and or the, seven furlongs. The ro the Royal Lodge. Uh, the Royal Lodge, yeah, that's the one. And um, he was with Hugo Palmer, um, then didn't go right um, as, as a potential derby horse. And they then uh, raced him very successfully um, in, Aus in Australia. He was incredibly tough. I think he had over 30 starts there, won the group one Kennedy Mile and was multiple group placed. Um, and, um, well, then... I did two Dubawi full shares, um, uh, again with, um, yeah, um, they, they were bought by, uh, by Dali and, um, in fact, one, uh, that was an unraised filly called Summerland, 
Um, she has since sold hands, but was sold in full to Frankel. I think only only a couple of weeks weeks ago for over a million uh, Australian dollars. Um, then we have a three-year-old, um, again a Dubawi colt out of the mare, Donormont, who will run in a novice stakes at uh, Newmarket on Friday. Hopefully, he's rated 90. Then there is a Frankel Colt, uh, which I bred and sold. Um, he's a two-year-old with Rafe Beckett. And then I have a yearling See the Stars filly, which I intend to um, um, to put into training for myself. And then the mares in foal to Baid. So for me, as a yeah, tiny breeder, a relative novice, um, she's been an amazing mare. And she's paid for... Uh, a lot of my racing given me given me enormous pleasure, and um, she's also a very nice memory of um, um, Henry, who was um, yeah a great man and also became a great friend. Yeah, I'm very interested in your relationship with Henry Cecil because you went to him when he couldn't have been less fashionable. You know, he was at his sort of yes. nadir, really. How satisfying was it yes. to 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 be alongside him or to be involved in the stable as it as it made its way out of the wilderness and back to something like the glory days? Um, I think um, he just had something about him that uh, fascinated me like uh, many, many others. And I think he was someone who made people around him feel good. He was incredibly positive, funny. Uh, he had an, an incredibly light touch and motivated, um, I think, people and horses around him in, a, yeah, in, in, an, in an amazing way. So even in, the, um, in these tough times, um, it was great and, and uplifting to, to be around him. Um, obviously, he was also... Um, yeah, he had self-doubt um, occasionally and sometimes spoke about it. And, you know, I, I always said, you know, it's like fund management, which, um, which, which used to be my business. Uh, it's a skill which you never unlearn. Obviously, in racing, it's very tough when you aren't fashionable and, you know, you go down. Not only the numbers dwindle, but the quality weakens a lot. But... You know, as, as long as you persevere, um, things turn quickly. And um, yeah, in the case of Henry, they did. And he had the most spectacular comeback culminating in Franco. Uh, Gerhard, I, you, it is hard enough to, to, however much you invest, to, to make a success out of breeding, breeding thoroughbreds. It's, some would say it's even harder to, to run and to nurture and to develop a race course, uh, and that's what you're doing with with, with Hopper Garden. It, this is a this is a this is a challenge on an industrial scale, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's quite big. I mean, I, I think about breeding. You can say, uh, well, you 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 don't look look after the horses yourself, so everything is outsourced. So it's not too uh, too time intensive. But uh, Hopper Garden is a big big project. Um, I would say the sort of four main elements um, uh, I've, I've been doing it over the last 15 years. The first one was to improve the racing massively. When I arrived, we had one group three. We now have a group one, five other group races, uh, six listed races, which, ran the, which weren't there before. 
to fund that you need to find a lot of sponsors and um, you know in Germany it's uh, not no less difficult than in the UK it's a very personalized business you have to see a lot of people get to know them uh, you have to, to, to enthuse them about um, that, that amazing track you have the sport uh, second thing is um, Hoppergarten it's about 500 acres big with about 40 buildings a huge investment backlog um, uh, dating back to yeah, the communist era so to fund that um, if I did that alone it would bankrupt me instantly so it's very important to get uh, public support so it was a big lobbying job to convince uh, the authorities um, to uh, consider Hoppergarten as a national heritage site and uh, we get um, capital expenditure grants now uh, for the renovation of the facilities both from uh, federal government and from the Brandenburg state government that's a very big job then you have to engage with the um, with the Berlin public um, the fascinating thing about Hoppergarten it was in the eastern part so behind the Iron Curtain and you would say literally from the 50s onwards it wasn't accessible to either horses or people from West Berlin, West Germany and the western world and uh, Hoppergarten to a lot of West Berliners was something Granddad used to go to but I wanted them to go to it so Berlin is three and a half million we had to do um, media partnerships and sort of a lot of, I think you call it corporation marketing and really get reach and awareness without spending huge amounts of cash. So that's quite an important task. We did quite well there. Uh, on average, our crowds are now um, double what they were 15 years ago and still rising. Not, um, yeah, we are up five or six percent again year on year, which is great. And um, then another big thing is um, everyone is, one understands a 500-acre state, you can't run it um, profitably or not even at break even with 10 race meetings. So um, we need to find a business model uh, that makes it self-funding and that's only possible by doing two other things. Um, the first one is to increase the non-racing usage um, and the key word there is a major events license, uh, which uh, we've been trying to get uh, from the council. Um, the situation there is um, Hopgarten has doubled in size to about 20,000 people. There's no building land. It's sort of classic, you know, commuter belt outside Berlin. Uh, where a lot of people say, oh, no, no more new, new arrivals here. Um, so it's not easy. Um, the second thing is we have a certain amount of land uh, that we don't need for the racing um, that is not protected in any way. And uh, we have about sort of 20, 25 acres either already built on with empty buildings or prime land that can be developed. And so those two are topics for the local council. They are tough nuts to crack. We resume our talks in July. And um, I would say the fifth big project um, at Hoppergarten is the training center. It, it used to be the um, um, very much headquarters in a similar way to Newmarket or Chantilly pre-war, uh, when it had 40 trainers, about 1,000 horses. Um, we 
the um, well, things have changed a lot. Um, a lot of the horses are in Cologne and moved there when um, after after the Second World War. Um, I think the big advantage we have at Hoppergarten, we probably have the best facilities in Germany. Uh, we have a great race day experience, one of the best in Germany, and we are outside Berlin, Berlin which is which is growing and um, really on a. Mm. Very, very good long-term trend. Big disadvantage is we are a long way away from France and a lot of the trainers in Cologne, Dusseldorf, you know, for them, Paris is um, five, five hours in a horse box. Um, it's a lot further from Hoppergarten. But Gerhard, on the build it and they will come principle, you have built up a, a, a race program and a, and a key race that that is attracting the best in the world. I mean, the last three winners of the, the Grosser Price von Berlin are a Breeders' Cup turf winner in Rebels Romance and two arc winners, Alpinista and Torquato Tasso. And, and even, the, even the best German horses that have won before that were Dane Dream and Novelist, both of whom were were absolute European stars. It's, it's an honour roll that's just about the best of any any all-age group one in Europe. Well, uh, I mean, we've certainly done very well. Um, I mean, it, again, it's an, it's an interesting point of history. After the war, all the big Hoppergarten races, it was also home to five of the classics, sorry, four of the classics, apart from the derby uh, they were sort of um they reappeared in west germany at dusseldorf at cologne it was very important to me to get the Berlin grand prix back um uh, we agreed this in 2011 it was had been run at dusseldorf under under a different name dane dream one that was a spectacular start we were rated the best um, German race four times since and uh, yeah it's it's been it's been been amazing and um, I'm very pleased with it I think um, what helps um, we don't really have a big meeting around it so um, we don't have a cut up track and Godolphin regular descent runners I, I think a lot of people like that um, and then Hoppergarten it's a very large fair galloping track um with quite a long straight so um yeah but i i think i mean when you look at the price money total price money is 155,000 euros which is clearly not a lot but um the trainers generally the big trainers still like to come because it's good timing it's in, in the middle of august it's as you said a great prep race for the sort of late season staying group ones um, and I think also a lot of owners love to come because particularly the British love the history of Berlin the you know Cold War mystique and um, yeah simply what's happening to the city it's um, changing it's vibrant it's dynamic and Hoppergarten has a fascinating history probably you know, 100 years ago, everyone in racing would have known it. And now I think we are slowly beginning to make people aware of this great racing asset um, the German capital has. And so owners like that. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Gerhard. Thank you very much. You've sold me. I will be, uh, I'll be at Hoppergarten as soon as, soon, as soon as I can. Brilliant. Lovely to talk to you, Nick. Well, thanks to Gerhard Scherning, to Michael Cox, to John Quinn, and also to William Haggis. John Harding from the Racing Post is with me now. Jonathan, you've got a tip for me for today. 
I do indeed. My tip is Enoch Dew in the 6.15 at Sandown, the Athlone handicap. He won well at Windsor last time, and I'm hopeful this step up and trip can bring further improvement. Excellent, Jonathan. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Tuesday, May the 16th. I will be back tomorrow, squeezing in an edition uh, before I head off for the Preakness this weekend. And plenty more of that in the episodes upcoming this week. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.